Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. in the Boise Friends Church Gymnasium, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption. Good morning. I'm Bob. I'm one of the elders here at Redemption Hill. It's good uh, to have you with us today. Over the past weeks, we've been talking about some of the values that shape our community. Values like uh, learning the way of Jesus and humility, uh, unity, simplicity, generosity, attentiveness to God's word. Last week, Pastor Robert talked about the J word, justice. And today, we go a little deeper in that as we talk about the poor. Here's our value statement. I think we have it up here. There we go. It says, we will remember the poor because we believe that God does. We believe that they are central to his mission in the world. It is our conviction that God is always on the side of those who have no one on their side. For that reason, we believe the church should also stand on the side of the poor, and in so doing, stand in solidarity with the heart and work of God. Jesus' own ministry is our model. We welcome all people, but prioritize the poor in our ministry concern, allocation of resources, and advocacy. We do this not because the rich and middle class are less important to God, but because they already have access to resources and are able to advocate their own cause. It is our belief that the church should therefore prioritize and remember those who have less and access to less so that in all things there might be equality. So yeah, back to that J word, justice. Biblically, justice means making things right, making things whole. And so that can mean when wrong has been done, justice looks like making things right through restoring what's been stolen or through holding to account the one who committed the wrong. But what we find in Scripture, when we start getting into it and looking into this, is that making things right, justice, also has another sense. And that's the idea that people who need food would be fed. People who are oppressed in many different ways would be freed. And people who are hurt would be comforted. God says that's what's right. That's what's right. And as we begin to talk about poverty, both globally and locally, and about other issues of justice, like racial divides, uh, sex trafficking that happens all over the country, and even here in the Treasure Valley, it would be all too easy, I think, to start to see it as hopeless. That whatever we do is like a, a, a pebble thrown into the ocean. But when we open scripture, we see that that's, 
That's not true. There's a direction that history is moving in regards to justice. Somebody beyond us is making things right, is at work, making what is broken whole and what is wrong right. Listen to what God told his people in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the New Living. It says, look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. This is one of those messianic kind of uh, prophecies. Uh, God is speaking through Isaiah about Jesus. He says, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. He says, God, the Lord, created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who said, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them, and you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. As we said earlier, if you begin to think about the scale of wrong that needs to be righted in this world, it can quickly become overwhelming, right? I, I, uh, this morning I caught, just, I watched some clips from last night's season premiere of SNL. And maybe I'm getting older, or maybe it's that I quit watching news and paying attention so much to what's going on out there because it was so depressing. But I had to look up like four different things from a bunch of sketches because I didn't know who they were talking about. I didn't know what they were referencing. I didn't know who that was. I didn't know what, what had happened over there. I just, I, and I realized this is how I've been living this past season. You know, a few years ago, it got a little loud. And I started to pull in a little bit more with my news consumption. But if we open it up a little bit and we start to look at what's going on in the world and you look at those pictures from Florida and you look at what's happening around the world, you start to see there's a lot. There's a lot that's not right. And I think too often in the face of that, that overwhelming sense of all that is wrong, it's easier to just settle for making our own lives a, a little more comfortable because that just feels a lot more doable than the hard work it takes to make someone else's life a little more just. And it's important to come to grips individually and as a community with the fact that we, we cannot do everything, right? But that doesn't mean we can't, that we can't do anything or that we shouldn't do something. Today we want to talk about that, about where the good news is, even in the middle of the poverty and suffering we see all around us when we open our eyes, all the injustice and evil that exists in the world, 
And then a little later, we want to talk about how we respond as a community. We read from the book of Isaiah. Now, if you have a Bible, grab it and look at the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, and his account of the life and teachings of Jesus. Just before the passage we're going to read, Jesus has come across someone uh, with a deformed hand, right? And recognize that in our society, where we do our best to uh, honor those with difficulties and handicaps and make life as easy as we can, this was a different time in the world. So a deformed hand would cut them off from the religious life of the place where they were living. They couldn't fully enter into it. They didn't have access to the temple, right? A deformed hand means it's going to be really hard to make a living. This person was, in a very real sense, on the margins, at the bottom. And Jesus sees him, and he sees what the problem is with his hand. And the only problem is, it's the Sabbath. And the religious leaders had interpreted God's command to rest one day a week as not even being able to do something good. And Jesus, he knows where they're at. He knows what's going on in their hearts. And he knows how angry it will make them. But he sees someone in pain. He sees someone on the margins. He sees someone at the bottom. And he does what Jesus is always doing. He makes it right. And in this case, that looks like healing the man. But here's the question. At what cost to himself, to Jesus? Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 13. He said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. Then the, I love this. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. <laughs> they, they went from zero to 60 just so fast there. But Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left that area and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them. But he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. There's a lot here, but notice a couple of things. First, there's this proclamation of justice, in a sense, like a drawing of a picture. And it starts small, it's easy to miss. In the passage before this, it's Jesus healing a blind man, healing a leper, feeding hungry people, freeing people who are oppressed by sickness and evil powers, because those people needed those things to be done, but also as a means of proclamation, as a means of saying, here, here's what was prophesied, here's what I'm doing, and here's where it's leading. This is where it's all going. 
Here's what's going to happen ultimately. Here's where all of this is headed. But beyond just healing others, Jesus drew that picture in a different way. Jesus himself was a victim of terrible injustice. The religious and civil authorities, not only did they start right here to plot to kill him, but they actually did it. They tortured and executed him, though he was innocent. See, but even in that, God shows his incredible capacity to bring good out of what evil people mean for harm. In the resurrection, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, God not only gave us the clearest picture of what turning back injustice looks like, he was saying, and it all starts now, in this moment. And where does it lead? Well, we can't get into that this morning fully. I'll just invite you to read the end of the book. It's there. But I'll give you the cliff notes, and that's, Justice is victorious. The wrong will fail. The right prevail. Peace on earth. And it's Jesus who brings that. He is the one who will ultimately accomplish what we are all, but especially the poorest among us, are crying out for God to do. He will do it. Later, when you have a chance, read and meditate on Isaiah 61. We don't have time to read it this morning. But it tells us this very explicitly. God hates injustice. You can't read that passage and not come away with any other idea. But God hates injustice. Why? Because not only is it contrary to his nature his intent for creation. But he hates injustice because he loves people. When his children are violated, God takes notice. So what does that mean for us? First, it means that even in the face of poverty and hunger and incredible evil and suffering around us, we can have hope. Because God, who is larger stronger than that evil, has shown us clearly in Jesus, evil doesn't win. Death doesn't have the last word. If we are putting our hopes in what we alone can do, if we are putting our hopes in that candidate, or this candidate, or even this policy or that policy, not that you shouldn't vote for who you think is best and what policies you want, but if that's the center of your hope, to make things right in the world, you're going to be in trouble. If we're putting our hope in what we alone can do, the natural tendency, again, eventually is going to become, is going to be becoming overwhelmed and eventually discouraged and giving up. But the good news, the hope that we have in Jesus, is already at work bringing about justice in this world. And he will be the one who ultimately sets all things right at the end of history. Our hope is in Jesus. But it means something else, too. It means that we as 
followers of Jesus should know what we are to be about. In other words, if you say, I follow Jesus, that means doing the things that Jesus did. Finding out where he's at work in the world now and following him there. Knowing the heart of God to right what is wrong. Knowing that the resurrected Jesus is busy in the world means that we have an obligation to follow him in doing those same kinds of things. Bringing healing, feeding those who need it. Setting people who are trapped and oppressed, whether it's by poverty, by poor education, or systemic injustice, whatever it is, setting them free. And I love the description, as Malia was saying, about how Jesus does all this. It's not through being loud, being big. It's not through violence. It's not through coercion. It's not through yelling and screaming. The picture of a bruised reed that he will not break, or a, a smoldering wick that he will not snuff out, says that in Jesus and in the community of Jesus, those who have been hurt, those who have been abused, those who have been misused, will find compassion. They will find care. The harassed and the helpless, the poor and the powerless, will find comfort and hope in him, the one who is making everything sad come untrue. And they find that right now through the community of followers that Jesus is building and ultimately in Jesus himself. So let me stop and just say this. If you hear that description of the weary, of the burden, in pain and in need of hope, that's why this community is here. To be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And I hope that you will bring what you are dealing with not only to Jesus, not only to him first and foremost, but also to us as a community. That's what we're here for. But for those who have made a decision to follow him, who have found in him a measure of hope and healing, work in progress though it may be, the truth is this, it cost Jesus much to enter into the mess, the pain, and the suffering of our lives. And as we follow Jesus, that means we also enter into the mess and the pain and the suffering of others, and it will cost us. We all know this, but I'll say it anyway, seeking justice is hard. Helping people who have real needs, like, yes, I can loan my lawnmower to somebody who needs it. How do I help somebody who has an elementary school education, is unemployed, is facing homelessness, has, has problems with alcohol, is dealing with drug addiction? It's easy to talk about poverty and potential problems, it's a lot harder to lift people out of poverty. It means seeing, engaging, challenging systemic evil, even personal evil of many kinds. But we do it, we do it, through helping people provide affordable housing, giving microloans through organizations like Kiva to 
those attempting to build businesses that can lift their families out of poverty through sponsoring children, giving them education, clothing, sustenance, just being available to help right here in our community through the rescue mission, through food pantries, through Love, Inc. One of the things that we did in Portland was intervene directly in human trafficking, and I won't go into how we did that right now. Ask me about it later if you're interested. But when we did that, we learned that when we engage in that kind of evil, it's serious and dangerous stuff. To pull somebody out of modern-day slavery is dangerous. But to not engage with the injustice and the suffering is a, it's a misrepresentation. It's a distortion of the gospel. It is to fail to draw for the world the picture that Jesus drew and is calling us to draw along with him. And it fails to join Jesus where he is busy setting things right. So this is the real question. Are we as individuals, are we as a community ready to engage and do the work that Jesus is calling us to do? Here's a quote. It says, To do serious battle against the evils of injustice will require anyone's spiritual life, faith and hope and love to grow. A commitment to prayer, the spiritual resilience demanded for sustained engagement, the wisdom and discernment required to be wise as serpent and innocent as doves are just part of what seeking justice will involve. This kind of maturity is not common in North American churches that have often done a better job cultivating Christian consumers with well-developed musical tastes than nurturing battle-ready disciples. Consequently, seeing justice as a passing fad is a real possibility. Mark Laberton. Wow. And the two questions there, what, what do we want? What are we forming and fostering in each other in community? Is it truly an individual and communal life in the way of Jesus? where we are willing to sacrifice something for others, risk the inconvenience, the struggle, the hard choices that sacrifice brings? Or are we fostering and maybe even desiring a consumer mentality that's primarily about me? My safety, my security, my comfort, my individual likes and dislikes. Justice is hard, but it's also simple. Julie Clausen, in a book called Everyday Justice, wrote, Justice is not about causes or issues, it is about people. We don't live justly or engage in justice because we feel passionate about issues, right? But because we love Jesus, and when you love Jesus, you must love the people that he loves and died to bring wholeness to. Justice flows out of Jesus' command to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to love those in need as we love ourselves. 
And because of that, justice isn't just an act that we do or don't do. It's not about putting something on the calendar once a month or every so often. It's an orientation of our lives. It's something that becomes a part of us as we grow in our knowledge of and love for Jesus and his way. It's born out of open eyes and soft hearts to the presence of the social and personal evil in the world. And if we let it, it will actually reorder everything in our lives, our priorities, our spending, our attitudes towards others, especially towards those who are poorer than us. Our willingness to put up with seeing other people abused. Everything. We live in light of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We know the good news he was pointing us toward. That in him, in Jesus, God has shown up to rescue and renew, redeem all of humanity and to bring together a a community that would not only point toward that future reality of a just, renewed creation, but follow and walk alongside him as he brings it. God is busy at work in all kinds of ways in our world, and even right here in the Treasure Valley and through this community. Uh, recently, uh, maybe about a year ago, so not so recently, I became aware of uh, an organization in Nampa called Because International. There's so many examples I could give, but I love this one. Because International. They make and they give away these shoes that actually grow with children as the children grow. Right? It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing work of engineering, and they, they cost good money because it's fairly expensive to make something that a child will wear for 10 years on its feet. It's amazing if, if you guys have kids, you know how fast they grow out of their shoes. And most of us think nothing of just getting them some new ones. But for families in poverty around the world, that's a real issue. And having something on your feet in many places in the world, it, it's not just a comfort issue, it's a health and safety It's a life and death at times, right? So here, right here in Nampa are Christians working to do something about it. I love that. Pastor Robert working with others to build affordable housing here in Boise. We complain about the cost of housing, but I have a feeling most of us still somehow manage to be homed. There are so many people that are left out of the way things are right now. And building affordable housing makes a difference. Local schools being adopted by churches in our community. How many of you sponsor a child through Compassion or another organization? Just anybody? You, okay, we got, yes. Making a practical difference in the lives of real individual children around the world. God is busy. All of this to say, be encouraged, feel hopeful, because not only does Jesus ultimately win, but Jesus is winning right now. We don't always see it until we begin to look at all the good that is happening right alongside all the hard stuff.
Jesus is bringing justice through charities, through churches, through individuals. It can't, it won't not happen. The only question is, as we become more and more aware of the need, will we allow ourselves to continue to be stretched into deeper participation in what he's doing? Or will we get left, I was going to say left behind, that was close, (laughs) that was close. Will we be left out of seeing that happen? through what we do, through participation in what God is doing, or will we be just content with where we're at? Here's the question I'm asking myself. Am I willing to let God mess my life up? Am I willing for it to cost me something to partner with him in what he's doing in the world? Are you? In a minute, we're going to respond in worship and thankfulness for what God is doing in the world and what he has done for us in Jesus. And as we do so, I want to invite you to wrestle with this question. Following Jesus in what he is doing in the world will cost you something. It will cost you something, even if it's only time. It will cost you something. Are you willing to pay it? If you are here and you consider yourself someone who's just looking into Jesus, just kind of checking him out or this community out, I don't, want you, I, don't, I don't want to make you feel obligated. I'm talking to those who say, I follow Jesus. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to ask, what does that actually mean? Jesus gave of himself sacrificially. He was a force for right, for healing and hope. Am I? Is there any sense of that in my life? If you're coming to realize that following and partnering with Jesus comes at a cost, and you are willing to be stretched in that area, I wonder if you do two things. One, there's communion up here. These are the symbols of what Jesus did for us in giving his body and blood for our healing, for our freedom. Come and take the juice or the wine and the bread. Coming to this table means you want what Jesus is offering, but it also means that you are saying yes to all that that implies. So as you come today, would you be listening for what God is saying to you, how he wants you to follow him in bringing justice in the spaces and places around you? Would you ask him? Would you listen? And would you take some paper, and if you need one, there's pens and pencils here, want to get those back afterwards because I just found them and I don't know whose they are so make sure we get them back. Would you take some paper and write out a prayer of response as we all come and take communion as we sing and worship in response to what we've heard. Let's pray and and then we'll sing and we'll come to the table together. Jesus, you set a high bar in how you cared for others. And if we were to try to match that out of some sense of of earning anything, out of some sense of making ourselves righteous, we, we would fail miserably. And so, Jesus, we know that the only way that we will ever respond in the right way is out of gratitude. 
as we look at what you have done for us, Holy Spirit, would you show us the places in our lives where we can do those things for others? Open our eyes, open our hearts to what you are doing and how we can be a part of it, we ask. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.